0: So over the past several, several weeks, I've been traveling a lot, and one of the nice things about traveling is you just kind of get a chance to lay low um, and get away, and as I was traveling to Dallas this last time, headed to Longview to be with my family over, over the weekend last weekend, um, had a lot of things on my mind, and as we were traveling through the, or as I was traveling through the airport, um, always, always scares me when you hear your name. And so I'm here in the Charlotte airport and uh, here's someone out, Robert, Robert. So I stop and, and look and I'm thinking, certainly they're not talking to me. And sure enough, it was one of you and got to visit with you for a little bit and then got on the plane, headed to Dallas and got there and was headed to go get my luggage. And once again, Robert, Robert. And uh, it, was, it was a friend from college. And so we got to visit for a little bit and uh, was headed back that Sunday. And it was a late night flight and all that. Same thing in Dallas airport, Robert, Robert. And I'm like, golly, just leave me alone. And um, so it was another person that I knew. And we got to visit for a little bit. Had to, had a layover real quickly in Birmingham, Alabama. And when I arrived in Birmingham and got off the plane, I began to get all these notifications on my phone that my flight had been canceled. And and just you hate that when it happens. I mean, you're stuck and you wanted to get home. I was so looking forward to sleeping in my own bed that night. And it's not going to happen. So um, I go up to the counter. They get me on another flight. And I'm then looking for how to get out, Uber to a hotel and all that kind of stuff. And, And then someone says, hey. And when someone says, hey, you know what your immediate response is? Just put your head down and keep going. And it kept coming. Hey. Hey, and I'm like, golly, what's this person want? And it was so weird. So this lady had stopped me and she had ordered the wrong thing at Burger King and wanted to give me her sandwich. So next time someone says, hey, maybe that'll be the case. Next morning, I get back to the airport, and I'm walking. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding with you about this. This is not preacher exaggeration, because a lot of other preachers exaggerate stories, but not me, okay? <laughs> so I'm, I'm sitting at the terminal, at the gate, waiting for the flight, and sure enough, Robert, Robert, it was the pastor buddy who was also stranded overnight uh, in Birmingham that was headed to a flight as well. And so it is, it is good to be back with you, And but you know, it's also good to have people know your name. There is a difference when a person calls you hey or bud or ma'am versus your name. This morning, I want to draw your attention to Luke chapter 19, where Jesus encounters a guy he's never met and calls him by name. And there's something that's significant that happens when he meets this person, stops him, Spends time with him. And then shares, shares something with us very, very significant about his entire purpose of coming to earth. Draw your attention to Luke chapter 19. Beginning in verse 1, you can stand in honor of God's word this morning. It's a very familiar passage of scripture. You probably heard it, those of you that grew up in church early, 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 whether it be in vacation Bible school or Sunday school or something like that. The story of a man named Zacchaeus. Look at verse 1. And he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw, they all grumbled, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord behold Lord half of my goods I give to the poor and if I have defrauded anyone of anything I restore it fourfold and Jesus said to him today salvation has come to this house for he also is a son of Abraham and then I want you to notice very closely verse 10 because verse 10 is why Jesus tells us this story verse 10 is why Jesus detoured to meet this man, and it's something significant about the ministry and the person of Jesus, and as a result of the ministry and person of Jesus, it's something significant about you and I and our church. He says this, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You can be seated. So this story finds us at really the peak and height of Jesus' popularity and ministry everyone knows who Jesus is. And and the the scene that we have here in Luke 19 is no different than the other scenes that we see in the chapters before and the chapters after this. Jesus is noticed everywhere he goes. In fact, he's anticipated everywhere he goes. And so typically in the cities that he would come to during this journey, there would be groups gathered around him. And so here he is in Jericho, and there's kind of like a parade that day. Everyone's heard that Jesus is on his way. And so it's the big day. It's a big preparation day. They hadn't had a chance to see him yet. They want to see his miracles. They want to talk to him. They want to visit. him. They want to see this man that everybody's talking about in the nation of Israel, about this possible Messiah, this guy that is doing incredible things, that has done some incredible miracles. They want to see it for themselves. And so, as Jesus enters Jericho, like so many other cities during this time, there is an absolute fanfare, a parade. People in the city and from other places came to see. And so, in the midst of that, just like anyone else, there's a guy named Zacchaeus who also wants to see who is Zacchaeus well we have a song about him you know the song Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see and as the Savior passed that way he looked up and he said Zacchaeus what did he say I'm going to your house today and I'm going to your house to stay and aren't you glad I'm not a worship pastor? (laughs) That's a cute song. And Zacchaeus appearingly was probably a little cute man. I mean, the story tells us that he was a really short guy and you can imagine the scene that day as he showed up on the crowd and everybody was gathered around. Maybe he was late. I I don't really know. But, But as Jesus was approaching, I can see, I can imagine Zacchaeus standing like three, four rows deep and you know what he's doing, don't you? You know, he was doing this whole thing, trying to see what was going on because he was a wee little man and he couldn't see it. So in order to get a vantage point so he can see, Zacchaeus finds a tree and climbs up in the tree so he can see Jesus. It's a fascinating story. But Zacchaeus really wasn't a fascinating man. And he certainly wasn't. A cute man. He was a tax collector, and he wasn't just any tax collector. The story tells us he was the chief tax collector. He was the leader of abandoned men, of a, of, a, of a group of men that worked for the city and worked for the government that were extorting people. He would have been seen as one of the most greedy men in his town, a ruthless man. Most tax collectors weren't paid. And so in order for them to gain income, they had to extort people. They had to pressure people. They had to leverage their position over people uh, to to put them in situations where they would give extra, whether buying them off or they would lie to them and charge them extra. And Zacchaeus apparently was really, really good at extorting people because it says in this story that he was a rich man, verse 2. A man that was driven by greed, a man that would not have been popular, whose life was controlled by money. He took advantage of people, he manipulated people, and Zacchaeus was a leader of a group of people, of upper class men who made their income, taking advantage of lower class people. Zacchaeus was the picture of the rich stealing from the poor. This was a wicked and evil guy who was in search of something. Zacchaeus sought Jesus. It says in verse 3, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. I think there's so much more to that than just trying to see this person, Jesus, Jesus. We see the story where at one point in time Zacchaeus put his foot up on a, on, on, on a, on a limb and climbed up into that tree. But I think it goes far beyond something he wanted to see with his eyes. Ultimately Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus. And when you think about it, what Zacchaeus had spent his life seeking and doing, what he was striving for, ultimately, could only be satisfied and met in Jesus Christ. I think just like Zacchaeus, every person in this world, no matter where they grew up, no matter who they are, no matter what their background is, is ultimately seeking Jesus. Deep down inside of our nature, God has set eternity in us. And there is longings, and there is passions, and there are desires that all of us, no matter what background or culture you come from, you are pursuing. We're all pursuing joy. We're all pursuing happiness. We're all pursuing meaning in life and purpose. We're all pursuing companionship and friendship. We're all pursuing success, security, And we live our lives and we do what we do in order to attain and grab hold of all of these things in our life. But the scripture tells us, the gospel of Jesus reveals to us that ultimately the full satisfaction of all those things which we seek is found in Jesus. And so whether you want to admit it or not, whether you realize it or not, we're all seeking Jesus. Now, some of us get to the point in place in our lives where we realize maybe the God thing has something to do with this. And so as we seek Jesus, maybe we do certain things to try to get closer, to try to figure it out. We've gone to church. We've acted morally. We've prayed. We've watched religious programs. We've asked someone about faith. All of these things are things that we do in order to seek Jesus. Amen. There's not a person in the city of Charlotte that is not on a pursuit that ultimately winds up to Jesus. And the crazy thing is that after pursuing what they can only be found in Jesus, one day they will find it when they meet him face to face and realize everything I've been striving for and everything I've been working so hard for and everything that I felt like I was never quite getting was found in him. People seek Jesus, but the story isn't just about a wee little man that sought Jesus. The story is about Jesus who sought a wee little man. Long before Zacchaeus ever heard the name Jesus, long before he ever put his hand on that tree, Jesus sought Zacchaeus. See, the story of Zacchaeus doesn't, begin in Luke chapter 19. It begins 10 chapters before this in Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9 verse 52, a major pivot happens in Jesus's ministry and life. And in verse 51, it says this, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face towards Jerusalem. From that point forward, throughout the story of Luke and really throughout the ministry of Jesus, Jesus' pointed his life towards his last trip to Jerusalem. He was in Galilee and he made the decision in that place, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And that journey to Jerusalem would be the last time he ever traveled to Jerusalem. And so what Luke accounts over the next 10 chapters is what that journey looked like and the people he talked with and the things that he taught on that last journey, that several week journey from Galilee down to, to Jerusalem. But what's interesting is about the journey from Galilee to Jerusalem that Jesus took after Luke chapter 9 verse 51 is that it was not the normal course and the normal trip. You see, Jesus typed it into Google. Give me directions to Jerusalem. And then he pressed the button scenic route. He had a straight shot that would have taken him straight south. But rather, Jesus decided to travel 15 miles west, east, Travel south down the Jordan River and then come back about 15 miles west into Jerusalem, which would take him through the city of Jericho. Not a normal path, a path that would have been tire- tiring, a path that added extra time, and a path that was really, really rugged and hard to make. Yet Jesus made that path came to the city and called out by name the only man in the city whose name is mentioned in Scripture. I'd make the argument this, that Jesus took that route to find Zacchaeus. He intended in his ministry and in his life, nothing Jesus did was without accident, was with accident. It was all on purpose. Jesus intended to go through the city of Jericho to meet with Zacchaeus so he could encounter with Zacchaeus what he encountered that day. Listen, just as people are seeking Jesus, more so is it true that Jesus is seeking people. There is not a person on the face of this earth that Jesus Christ does not want to save and that is not currently in the process of trying to work their lives to a place and point where they can find him and where he can meet them. God doesn't create people by accident. And God certainly doesn't create people to not seek them. God creates you and I, every person on this earth, so that he can have a relationship with us. And the moment that you breathe your first breath in this life, God is in pursuit of your life. God seeks lost people. Jesus seeks lost people. I think that's so important. In fact, Jesus is, it's the point of the whole story. Look at verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is looking for you. And while this very morning you may have climbed into your own sycamore tree of First Baptist Charlotte, I want you to understand that Jesus Christ is calling you out by name. He sees you, he knows you, and he wants you. Which is exactly what happens. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. I'm going to go to your house today. Jesus is seeking lost people. Amen. And you and I as a church need to understand this. That Jesus has called us to follow him. Well, the trip that he's on in following him is to call lost people and to find lost people out to himself. And the places that he's put you, your neighborhood... There are people that God knows by name and that Jesus is after and is very intent of putting you in that neighborhood, putting you in that apartment, putting you in that workplace. is so that you would know their names too. And that you would join him in his pursuit of seeking them. You know, there was a day and time here in our culture, and I imagine it was no different than the culture that I grew up where you knew everybody on your street Some of you don't remember those days because you're not old enough, but many of you remember you knew everyone on the street and you knew all their business too. But now it's gotten to the place and point in time where our culture is such that not only do we not know everybody on our street or in our complex, we don't even know the name of the people that live next door. But Jesus does. Church, I think specifically what Jesus wants us to be first is to be people that care about people. That are willing to know them, willing to get out of their comfort zones and about their lives and know people. He knows them and he seeks them, but he also fellowships with them. I mean, it's a cool story. He, he calls Zacchaeus down, but, but he calls Zacchaeus down for a reason. I want to go to your house. Go into your house today. I, I'm hungry, and you're going to feed me. Wouldn't that be awesome if that's the way life worked, by the way? Amen. Here in just a little bit, we're going to get out. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just look and say, hey, Phil, uh, you're feeding me today. I am coming to your house and hope you got the pot roast. If not, Bojangles is on the way home and we are eating at your house. You are going to. Wouldn't that be awesome? In fact, you're welcome to try that this way. Just don't ask any of that, okay? That's essentially what Jesus says. Hey, Zacchaeus, down. Come on. I'm going to your house. It's kind of an odd thing that Jesus, I mean, had the clout to be able to do that, and Zacchaeus is like, oh, "Are you serious?" Like he receives him joyfully. Like he hurried. He was like, uh, "I don't." Uh. No, he he he's like, "Are you? Are you? Absolutely!" Come on. It says he received him joyfully in verse six. But there was a response by everyone else, and the response you would think would be twofold, but. It really explains to us by what they say. In verse 7, when they saw it, they all grumbled. Now, some of them, you, you would think Mike grumbled because he didn't pick me. I mean, there had been people that knew about Jesus, that, that loved Jesus, and that wanted to see Jesus because, I man, they were fans of Jesus. And, and Jesus, he doesn't pick me, he picks this guy who took my money. I mean, there's probably a little bit of grumbling over that. of Like, oh, well, what, what, what is this? This is not the Jesus I thought. Well, we see that it actually goes a little bit deeper than that. People express it. He is gone. He's gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. Jesus, we we got the Pharisees and Sadducees here. We've got these people that have been serving you all their life. We have these people that have tithed every week. We have these people that know the Old Testament. We have these people that have prayed every day. We have these people that have been waiting for you. And you go see a dude who is the most vile and wicked man in our city. It's not just that you know him. You didn't call my name. It's not that you just know Zacchaeus' name. It's that you're going to go to his house. There's been a lot of kind of people at that house, Jesus, and they're not our people. In fact, we find out as we think through it, that Jesus actually kind of had a reputation for hanging out with the wrong crowd. In Luke, in Matthew chapter 9, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9, or told the story of a certain person that Jesus not only spent time with, but they called and made one of his own. In verse 9, it says this, and Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, same type of dude as Zacchaeus. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. Incredible story. You have Jesus calling from the rough and gruff, from the vile and wicked people to follow him. And this man follows suit, becomes one of his apostles. And uh, verse 10 tells us this. And Jesus reclined at table in the house and behold, many tax collectors and sinners. Well, what kind of sinners? Just name it. I mean, we don't call people that tell white lies sinners. These people were known sinners. These people had a reputation Not for their good works and their church attendance. These people had a reputation for their sin. Not good people. And that's who Jesus ate lunch with that day. And tax collectors and sinners came and they were reclining at table with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? What is he doing hanging out with people like this? We're not supposed to be around people like this. Jesus heard it, he says in verse 12, and said, to those who are well, have no need of physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I just want to time out and say, I think that word right there would be a great word for us, you and me, go and learn what this means. That's a statement Jesus says not to non-religious people. It's a statement he makes to religious people. Go and learn what this means that those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And Jesus said something very similar in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, that he said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is saying, I didn't come to call people that got it all together. I didn't come to help people just have a much better life that already have a good life. I came to call people that are in deep and desperate need. I came to call people that are sick spiritually. I came to call people that are scared, Going, are headed straight for an eternity in hell. You want to name the sin? I came after that person. You want to name the per- I didn't come for people that have it put together and cleaned up and fixed up. I didn't come to people, together people that, that have, have their life all plush and all wonderful. I came for people who are sick and who know it. And Jesus had a reputation. Why does he do this? Why is he going to these places? Why is he around these types of people? Why? Because of what Jesus says in Luke chapter 19 verse 10. Because he came to seek and save the lost. And in order to seek and save the lost, Jesus shows us something really important. If you want to seek and save the lost, you got to get where the lost people are. You've actually got to seek them, know them, get to know them, and then where with where they are. Amen. Fellowship with them. Jesus didn't just come and give us a nice story and write a letter of love to us. Jesus came and got down with us 22 years ago. The world was, really our nation was captivated by a story that took place, a a crisis that happened with an 18-month-old little girl by the name of Jessica. Jessica was at her aunt's house one, one day and she was playing in the backyard and she fell into her aunt's Well, 59 feet down, she was stuck. Obviously, you know, people were called and rescue workers were on the scene very quickly. And in a matter of hours, it was discovered this is not going to be an easy solution because nothing could, it couldn't help Jessica out. She's 18 months. She can't grab a rope. The hole was too small to send an adult down. There wasn't a device or anything like that they had prepared for that and so it was a crisis and soon media caught attention national media caught attention and the whole world was watching these rescue workers try to figure out what to do about Jessica and everything they thought of and everything they came up with could not work and time was ticking because this child could suffocate this child could starve to death this child could could go without water for so long and Her life was deeply threatened like anyone's would be, but certainly for an 18-month-old little child was more vulnerable. And so after figuring things out and after planning things out, a a guy by the name of Robert, Robert O'Donnell came up with an idea. And a large drill was brought on the scene and parallel to the tunnel that she was in, they drilled another bore, another hole, large enough for an adult man to be dropped down that hole. They dropped him down that hole and with shovels and everything he could use in such a confined space, including his hands, from his hole to her hole, he dug a tunnel, crawled in with his hands, grabbed hold of Jessica, pulled her to his chest, and then was lifted up by ropes. It's a fascinating rescue. But it was a copycat. Because 2,000 years ago, in a much deeper hole, with a much more desperate circumstance. God dropped his son on this earth. And he became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And he reached down and he got on our level, He didn't ask us to climb up to him. He didn't ask us to clean up things for him. He got down in the muck and the mire to save us as we are where we are. He came to be with us. Hey, when was the last time you got that deep and got that far with someone that doesn't know Jesus? Now, now, just to make a point here, Jesus spent time with these people, but Jesus didn't participate in what these people were doing. But he was still seen with them, he was still with them, he was still in their homes, and if Jesus had had a home, I imagine that's where they would have been with him. When was the last time that you intentionally had someone to spend time in your home, eat around your table, that is far from God? and you picked them and you invested in them and then you invited them over. When was the last time that you reached out to that coworker and say, hey, let me take you to coffee. Let me take you to lunch. When was the last time you thought as you're driving down these roads around Charlotte that changed names randomly, that the people in the car that cut you off and honked at you, they, they probably don't know Jesus. One of my favorite foods in the world is salt. I love salt. Salt is good with anything. It doesn't matter what it is. It makes it better. I love salt. You go to a restaurant. One of my worst foods is vegetables. I don't know who invented vegetables. I guess it was God. So it's good. I just like it. And uh, I mean, there is not enough salt in the world to make green beans taste good. And so when I order food at a restaurant, one of the first things I look for when that food comes to me, if there's vegetables on my plate, where's the salt? Because I know that if I don't have salt, it's not going to taste good. But listen, salt does no good just sitting there in a shaker. You know what you got to do? Pick it up, turn it over, and shake it so that the salt comes out of the shaker and permeates and saturates and Oh, makes it taste so much better, your nasty vegetables. But it can't get on your vegetables unless it gets out of the shaker. You heard Jesus said he called you something, he name-called you. You are the salt of the earth. Yet most of us, as salt, stay in the shaker. The majority of ministries that we involve ourselves happen in the walls of a church. The majority of people we know also gather in the walls of a church. The, The closest friends that we have and the people that we spend the most time with and that we fellowship with the most are in the walls of the shaker. Jesus didn't come to come after people that are in the shaker. He came to come after people that are outside. And he spent his time with them and he teaches us to do the same. Jesus fellowshiped with the lost. Jesus sought the lost. And Jesus told the lost the truth and showed them how to live. This is a cool story because something dramatic happens. Verses 8, 9, and 10, a major life change happens in Zacchaeus's life. They're sitting at dinner, Jesus criticized for it. And in verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus stood and he said, Lord, behold, half my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, well, today salvation has come into this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Something between verse 7 and verse 8 is left out. Something happened in Zacchaeus' life in that moment between verse 7 and verse 8. And here's what I think it is. It's two things. In the silence of the period and gap between verse 7 and verse 8, as Jesus is sitting with Zacchaeus in his house, whether it was just the presence of Jesus or, or whether it was something he declared to Zacchaeus, somehow, some way, Zacchaeus learned the truth of Jesus. He learned that Jesus was everything he was seeking in life, that Jesus was the answer to that and he learned somehow some way that Jesus was what he was looking for Jesus somehow some way in the midst of dinner in the midst of hanging out Jesus somehow some way communicated to him the truth because this man was changed he went from being a thief to being a philanthropist Jesus told Zacchaeus the truth, and Zacchaeus believed it. He was not saved, as Jesus declares in verse 9, because of what he did in verse 8. Because we know that's not the gospel, and that's never the message that Jesus taught. He gave an incredible amount of money, but that's not what saved him. He was saved by the only way a person can be saved, by believing what Jesus told him by his relationship to him. That's the difference between religion and relationship. You see, religion of the Pharisees and Sadducees and religions of modern-day America and modern-day many churches is you do this and you'll be okay. But that's not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is not you do this and you'll be okay. Jesus says, I don't care what you do. It's not going to be enough. And so you need to know this and know me and I'll save you. Jesus declared this in John chapter 8, verse 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In John chapter 14, verse 6, we read it this morning. And he said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. You are not saved by knowing how to be religious, by knowing how to do moral things, by owning a Bible, by saying a prayer, by having a Christian friend, or doing Christian things, or dressing like Christians. Religion is about doing, but a relationship, a saving relationship is about knowing. And you are only saved by knowing and believing the truth of Jesus Christ. And some of you need to hear that this morning. Because you think that what you are doing will get you to heaven. And I want you to understand very clearly that nothing you do will ever gain you a breath in heaven. Rather, what you do will gain you an eternity in hell. But what Jesus has done is everything. And it's the only thing. And by trusting and believing that, that is how a person is saved. And it's a really important point here for us too. Something happens between verse 7 and verse 8 where Jesus tells the truth to people. He didn't just hang out with him. He didn't just fellowship with him. He didn't just know him. Jesus spoke the truth to him. Jesus abandoned that dumb philosophy. Preach the gospel and use words if necessary. That's a great point. You need to live a life that reflects what you believe. But let me tell you something. Words are absolutely necessary because Jesus says by truth, not by actions. And people don't know the truth unless they hear the truth. And how are they going to hear the truth if God's people don't speak it and don't share it? Somewhere along the way, what Jesus has called you to do in that relationship with your neighbor, in that relationship with the person you work with, somewhere along the way, Jesus is calling and commanding you, speak up. Tell them who I am and how they can know me. Because that's what's going to change their lives. You are not going to change their lives. Amen. The truth of Jesus does. He tells him the truth somewhere. And he shows him how to live. I don't know where Zacchaeus got the idea. But as he comes encounter with the truth of Jesus Christ, as he turns his life over to Jesus Christ, Zacchaeus begins to realize some things about himself. I'm greedy. I've done some bad things. I've hurt a lot of people. And that's not like the man that I'm sitting with right now. It's so opposite of him. And I want to be more like him. And I want to be closer to him. I don't know if Jesus commanded Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus began to figure it out on his own as he looked at the nature and character of Jesus as he realized he had no business sitting with Jesus that day, but yet Jesus had sought him out and spent time with him. Somehow, some way along the way, Zacchaeus not only got saved, but was shown by Jesus how to live. And so he makes drastic immediate changes in his life because of what he believes about the one sitting in the room with him. Half his goods he gives to the poor. If he's defrauded anyone, there's no if about it. He's defrauded everyone. I'll repay it fourfold. I don't know that percentage of that income of Zacchaeus' is, that was gone in that moment right there. But Zacchaeus rearranged his life because of the person of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus showed him the truth and he showed him how to live the truth out in his life. We have evangelism and we have discipleship in the person of Zacchaeus in verse 8. Amen. Our calling as the church is not just to bring people to the altar to meet Jesus. Our Calling as the church is to stay there with them and walk with them as they go to follow Jesus and show them how to do it. Just as important as the evangelistic ministry of a church and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people, so too is the discipleship ministry of the church. Just as important as the outreach events we do to encounter people and get around this afternoon when we go do Share Uptown, Serve Uptown, just as important as that is, so is the fact that there are life groups happening around the city tonight. And there were Sunday school classes happening this morning in this building. That is vitally important too, because it's not just our job to tell people who Jesus is, it's to show them how to live for him and with him. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. You are not following Jesus if you're not to. Seeking to save the lost through Jesus. All around you, there are people in their own way climbing up a sycamore tree. For some of them, it's the sycamore tree of success. And some of them, it's the sycamore tree of joy. And some of, the, some of them, it's the sycamore tree of alcohol and of drugs, its relationships, its, it's companionship. They're, they're climbing up a sycamore tree to see what they can see. And what they're ultimately looking for can only be found in Jesus. So figure out their names. Call them. Hang out with them. Tell them the truth. And show them how to live. Who is your Zacchaeus? Let's pray. For some of you this morning in this room, Jesus is calling your name. In your heart, he, he is shouting out your name. And what's more behind that name is that he knows everything about you. He has, he has sought you out from the day and the moment he decided to create you. And this morning he is saying, come down. Would you do that this morning? Would you climb down your tree and come to Jesus? He wants to save you. He has come all the way from heaven and he has pursued you to save you. He has done what is needed to be done in order to save you. Would you give him your life? Would you turn over your life? You will never get to the top of that tree. You will never find what you are seeking. So Jesus brings it to you in himself. Would you accept it this morning? In a moment, we're gonna have a time of invitation. Our ministry team is gonna be available. And if you're ready to come down that tree and give your life to Jesus Christ, I want to ask you to do something this morning. When we stand, you step out from your chair, your pew, and walk down this aisle. We'd love to share with you and walk you through trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's nothing to be embarrassed of. Jesus is calling you. Answer that call. For others of us this morning, maybe this morning we need to repent of the fact that if we don't know a whole lot of Zacchaeus, we've not spent time with them. We've not invested in them. We've not taken time out of our precious lives to pour into them. Maybe we as a church need to think about the fact and the truth that is what we do. Is it all about us and is all about what's in the shaker or is it really about what's outside the shaker? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for that at some point in time, You've called us by name. And Jesus has saved so many of us in this room. And so, as we follow him, I pray, Lord, that our eyes would see what he sees, and Lord, that our our minds would know the people that he knows, and that just as he wants to be with them and wants to save them, so too, I pray you would give us the heart to do that as well. Help us to get out of our holy huddle, our circle of Christians. And to step out in the lost and dying world that you've given us and you've called us to and you've placed us in. Use us, Lord, to seek and save that which is lost. It's in Jesus' name we pray.